Y'all go with us to the world. It's been good for me to uh, be there uh, 2018 and 2020. Uh, we were there. I was with my oldest son, a college student now, when COVID was breaking, the news was breaking of the world shutting down, and I was with my brother in Christ over there. Look forward to going back. And I'm mad at Mixon. I st- the first time I went, I hung out at your place for that week, and then at the last day, he shows me that waterfall, which is like straight from the heavens and uh, really good stuff. Let me just, I want to show you a few people and then um, share with you a prayer that they've prayed. This is Johann Sebastian Bach. If you were in Germany, you would say, Bach, like that. But he was, of course, a composer that's um, lauded throughout the globe, throughout history. Uh, he was um, orphaned as a child, uh, a hard beginning of life and it even grew harder when he moved to a bigger German city. He uh, taught, he instructed music and such at St. Thomas Church and School but was maligned in many ways, was underfunded, had a hard time making a living in those early years but it was when he wrote, when he composed some of his most beautiful music and here uh, is a prayer that Bach prayed, Jesus help me show your glory through the music I write. May it bring you even as it brings joy to bring you joy, even as it brings joy to your people. Uh, this is uh, Frederick, uh, um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, sorry. This is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German uh, author, theologian, and pastor. He trained young pastors. Uh, oh, by the way, on the side, he sought and was effective in dismantling the Third Reich, uh, Hitler's Nazi um, army. He was very influential, spent time um, in prison, um, And he offered this prayer. This was while awaiting execution in a Nazi concentration camp. Diedrich Bonhoeffer prayed, restore me to liberty and enable me so to live now that I may answer before thee and before the world. Lord, whatever this day may bring, thy name be praised. This is Corey Ten Boom. On a personal note, when I was um, a little boy... I went with my mama, Glenda, my grandmother, Ruth. They put me in a car. I was probably seven-ish. And they drove to Jackson to see Corey Ten Boom uh, speak. I wish I knew um, back then what I know now. I was not excited to go. I wasn't near as excited as our daughter, Haley, when she went to Bridgestone Arena in Nashville to see Harry Styles several months ago. Uh, I wasn't wasn't that excited. I didn't want to be there. But, oh, I wish I could go back and hear her. And she... uh, her and her family, she was born in the Netherlands, she was the oldest, sorry, the youngest of several children. Through the leadership of her family, um, she, uh, they would hide Jews that were being pursued by the Nazis during that tumultuous and tragic time. And they could put six people up and they worked with other families to hide people and to get them to freedom. Over 800 people, uh, history says, uh, were saved and uh, she spent time in jail. She said, Jesus help me, I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. This is George Washington Carver, one of the more famous scientists of the 20th century. He was known for uh, crop rotation. He brought <clears throat> incredible insight into southern living, um, to agriculture industry, to helping people. Uh, y'all know him from peanuts. Um, allegedly, there were some 300 variations that he helped um, discover related to peanuts. He prayed this prayer. O oh God, I thank thee for such a direct manifestation of thy goodness, thy majesty, and thy power. We fight and draw a line between science and faith, but not for George Washington Carver. He felt like God was leading him in his scientific discoveries. 
Um, this is Thomas Dorsey. They taught me how to go back. This is Thomas Dorsey. He's known as the father of gospel music, a Georgia boy. His father was a pastor. His mom was the choir, um, led, led the choir, played the organ. And uh, he wanted early on to turn from his faith. He went to Chicago. He mastered the piano. He was getting known all around uh, the world. Blues was his thing. He had a nervous breakdown. His life uh, almost unraveled to the core when his wife and son, during childbirth, they both died. And he returned home and returned to his roots and rediscovered the gospel. And through piano and Jesus, he offered this, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. This is Rosa Park. She's a seamstress, was a seamstress in Alabama. Just a seamstress. But one day in 1954, she refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white man. Her act of defiance and bravery, defiance of the nation's Jim Crow laws, it actually helped launch the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks offered this prayer that was made to song. I am bound for the freedom line. I am bound for the freedom land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the freedom land. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. They called her Moses, by the way. And I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and freedom land where my possessions lie. This is Rosa Park. Let me go back here. This is, this is Harriet Tubman. The Underground Railroad. She was born into slavery. She herself a slave in eastern Maryland, which was, we kind of think that's Yankee land, right? But that was southern land where the Mason-Dixon line fell. So she was a slave and she escaped into freedom, but she was not satisfied for her freedom alone. She fought for other people in the darkness and the terror of the night. She would go south. She made 19 different trips to the south to rescue slaves. And in terrible situations, she would pay, pray this prayer uh, over and over. I'm going to hold steady on you. You've got to see me through. This is William Tinsdale. He was educated as a scholar in Cambridge and Oxford. And he had a conviction his friendship with Martin Luther and others. But he had this conviction that the Bible should be translated to English. And in 1526, he moved to London. And he was known by the church because the church was established and it had power. And it wanted its hands on everything. It wanted control. And they deemed him a heretic as a misfit, a rebel, a dissident. And he faced great danger. But he wanted the Bible in the English language. And God has used this man greatly. A simple prayer from William Tyndale in 1536. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. This morning I want to ask you, what have you prayed? What do you pray? Does prayer work? If we were a small group and we were prompting discussion, I was the leader wanting to facilitate talk among us. How would you answer that question? Don't speak. But how would you? Pretend with me. How would you if you were asked to participate today? Does prayer work? It's a funny thing, and I want us to shift the way that we think about it uh, at the outset. Let's say I walk over here, and I flip a switch to turn the lights off, but the lights don't go off. We would say it doesn't work. 
if we hop in a car, we have keys, and we turn the key in the ignition, but the car doesn't start, we would say that it doesn't work. But it's the same true in conversation with another person. Let's say that I go home and tell Susan one day, I say to her, in addition to your already full-time job, I want you to be at my beck and call. I want you to cook all of my meals. I want you to clean everything. I want you to draw my bath at night and massage my feet, iron my clothes, and take care of me. Let me ask you, does Susan work? Would that work for me? Y'all don't know us, do you? That would not work. That would not work. But we would not say that Susan doesn't work. You would probably say, Robert, your mind doesn't work. That's just an all-around bad idea. It's a hypothetical situation if you're here for the first time. I would never do that, but hear me now. How would you you instruct me if you knew that were, were to be true? You would say to me, bro, conversation with Susan would work, just not like that. You would persuade me not to try to see my conversation with her as a force or an act of my will, but a conversation with her. That's two-way, she to me, me to her. And that would be what you would talk to me about. But let's look at that. Let's look at prayer as a relationship with God. Let's look at it not so much as something that works, but as a conversation. A conversation between you and a loving, caring Heavenly Father. We've been in James. We're going to conclude James today. I kind of hate to, but we're going to talk about hope and lead toward Easter next Sunday's Palm Sunday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. But uh, we're concluding James, at least as a series, but it's been so rich uh, to talk about these things that we've talked about, to, to, to pass the test, to do the word, to tame the tongue, to check the ego. And today we're going to talk about how to ask the Father. In James 5, if you brought a Bible, that's where to turn in a moment. We'll put it up on the screen. But in James 5, that's where we'll be. He tells us when we should pray. In James 5, 13, it says, pray when you're afflicted with trouble. Any of y'all pray when trouble comes? Pray when you have trouble. James 5, 14 and 15, pray when you're sick. Pray when you're sick. And then James 5, 16, pray when, you, when you're guilty. Pray when you feel guilty. Pray when you're troubled. Pray when you're sick. Pray when you're guilty. Pray about your sin. Ask for forgiveness. He would later say, bring others into that process. That's when you pray. So let's go today to James 5. I want to look at verse 17 and 18. And a prophet's going to stand out right from the onset. Here's what James says. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So he's saying to us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Can I just say, uh, no? Do you feel that? Like a nature like ours? Like, have you ever prayed for something that wasn't happening and then it happened? Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you did something like this? I mean, for all of us, it's that, I mean, there's even a cliche that maybe you've heard or used before that prayer's bouncing off the ceiling. It doesn't seem to work. You don't know if God is there, if he cares, if he's going to answer you. So it seems a little odd that he's saying that Elijah, this prophet, is a man with a, with a nature just like ours. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever prayed for something and seen it happen? I mean, we tend to think that people like this, they don't have a nature like ours. There's something to them. It's, a, it's another level spiritual being. But he says... Elijah has a nature just like ours. So the next or 
previous verse, James 5, 16, talked about this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is the part. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Let me ask you. James is asserting that in Christ, you have that nature. Do you? Do you feel it? Would you be open to opening up your mind to encompass a noble thought like this, that you have this nature where you could be an effective prayer? You could pray and see God do something. So James kicks it back to a prophet. I don't know what you know about the prophets, but they become more and more relevant today. When I was a youngster reading scripture as a teenager, I remember reading some of the old and going, man, these guys were in a foul mood. They were ornery. They were odd. But you look at what's happening today with injustices around the globe, with division and polarization, with problems, with things that plague us socioeconomically and on and on and on, spiritually, of course. Uh, The prophets bring such good relevance today. So Elijah was this man, and he, would do, he did uh, what prophets do. He went to the king and told the king some truth. We're going to pick it up in a moment in 1 Kings 18. I'll have it up in this story. But in 1 Kings 17, Elijah went to Ahab the king, and he said, You are sinful. Your wickedness and your idolatry has come between you and God and between you and the people, and people are getting hurt. Lives are being lost, and you are wicked. So we pick it up there. Here's where um, Elijah comes to, to King Ahab, and here's how it goes. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, a mountain there, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Uh, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. I want to give you three principles about prayer from this story that James 5 points us back to. And the first is this, in your prayers, be specific. He says, Lord, I want you to, I want you to cause rain. He didn't pray for isolated thunderstorms or partly cloudy skies or general precipitation in the air. He prayed for rain. He prayed that God would cause it to rain and there would be no mistaking. By the way, a drought is really bad. When we lived in San Diego, if you'll remember, the first year and a half we were there, it didn't rain an inch, not a drop. Our oldest son, who's 23, who I could not pick up, I remember picking him up when he was a little toddler and his eyes got saucer big just looking at, it was his first time to ever really see rain. Um, But, you, you know, San Diego, we were good. But back then, in the ancient world, In an agricultural-driven society, a a three-and-a-half-year drought is a really big thing. So he prays a very specific prayer. And can I say this? Be specific. That's the first point. If your prayers are vague, then your answers to prayer will be equally vague. Several, Several years ago, I prayed, I started praying for my marriage. I prayed for my marriage very specifically. And this is how I prayed. I used these words each day. I prayed that, that Susan would be joyful in our marriage and that she would feel cherished. 
that she would be joyful and that she would feel cherished. I didn't write it down. I just offered that prayer. That was, you know, my prayer for our marriage. I wanted, I wanted um, her to feel that and to know that and for this commitment that we made to last as long as God gives us life. That she uh, would feel joyful, be joyful, but she would be glad she married me and give, give glory to God in that and that she would, be, uh, she would feel cherished. And one day, can I tell you, she hugged me from behind and she told me, she said, Robert, I am joyful. I have great joy and I feel, you ready for this drum roll, and I feel cherished. Now, what did I do? Check. I haven't cherished her since. But I thought, you know, hey, got it done. Very specific language, very specific prayer. And to see the answer to that prayer, very specifically. About 11 years ago, we were going to move about 10 to 12 miles uh, down the street from the reservoir to Fondren. And we were just a month or so away from no, we had a steady stream of income. We were just about 30 to 60 days away from no income. And we were starting a church and putting some things together. And I, uh, you know, that'll test the metal of your marriage and your family life. But I just had this faith. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to tell on myself in a minute, so give me a second. But I, in this moment, I just had this faith that God was going to provide. I didn't know how or what exactly, but I just had this peace. And we were enrolling our kids into uh, schools that cost a good bit. But I just had this peace. It, it, I just prayed and had a peace. I prayed very specifically that God would provide for us and that it wouldn't be a burden on my wife that we could have other burdens called starting a church, but it wouldn't be kids in school burden. And what's so cool, that very time when I was praying, we got notification from the schools that we uh, had received some scholarship money. At the very same time, two guys that helped lead me before the church was actually a church, but we were uh, shaping it up and praying for God to begin. But they came around me and said that, hey, in addition to your salary, because you probably ain't gonna be able to make much, but we wanna give you an annual check that will go toward the cost of this school. Can I tell you, that increases my faith. It really does increase my faith. And I wanna challenge you not to pray for general precipitation in the air, not to pray for partly and isolated prayer requests, but to pray for rain, to pray that God would work and be specific. Because this is true, if your prayers are vague, then your answers to prayers will be equally vague. Elijah prayed for rain, and God answered that. Hey, y'all, he has a nature just like ours. The second thing this morning is to be persistent. In addition to be specific, I want to tell you to be persistent. Stay at it. Remember what we read here, 43. Go and look toward the sea. He told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's, some, there's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Verse, we'll go back there. Seven times he said to go back. Seven times. Don't you know that he experienced some embarrassment? Time one, time two, three, four, five, and six. Some of you are into numerology and you talk to me some about this. It is fascinating, the Bible's usage of numbers. I've heard stories like this, you know, the Jericho thing. Uh, Mark Batterson wrote a book uh, called The Circle Maker about prayer. Um, it's caused me to walk around things seven times and pray. I've done it. Look, prayer is not a magic formula, a silver bullet, a slam dunk, a quick fix, an easy formula. It's not the words, it's communion with a living God. It, it, it's, but you have to stay at it. And Elijah gives us an example that I want to pass on to you, to you today. He was specific. 
he was persistent in his prayers. Can I say, I, to, I just told you a minute ago, I'm going to tell on myself, I've been praying for something. I told you about praying for my marriage years ago. I told you about almost 11 years ago, praying that God would provide for our family even before the church got started. I, I told you about that, and that builds my faith. It increases my faith. But let me tell you that I've been praying for something for just over three years. And like nothing. No answer. It's discouraging. It hurts. I've got a need. I want to see God work in this. But here's what I want to say in front of my church family today. I don't want to give up. Because what if God wants to do something in year four of my prayer? What if he wants to do something in year 10 or year 20? I know I'm not getting younger. Some of y'all are doing the math. But what if, what if God wants to do something 20 years from now in this? I want to pray with persistence. So the question that we probably want to ask, and that I know that we ask God in our own words is, hey, Lord, why not a sincere, single request? Why doesn't a single, sincere request suffice? But there's something about persistence. Let me give you a couple of reasons. One is persistence demonstrates desire. Persistence demonstrates desire. I think we're all alike. Now, some of us have a lot more persistence than the others. That's one of the reasons we're preaching on it today. But I don't know where you, you are on the persistent area. If you give up easily, the first sign of wind or temperature change or barometric pressure, you're like, oh, stop, there's a storm. A storm could come. I'm not doing anything. You know, you could be that or you could be one of those like, man, people have to like, you know, shoot you with a tranquilizer dart to get you to stop doing what you're doing. But man, here's what I know about me. I'm persistent. I stay at it when I want something. If it's climbing a mountain in Colorado or knocking walls down, doing demo at Fondren Church or getting dependable high-speed internet access at home, when you want something, you, when you really do desire it, you strive after it and you persist. You strive and persist. The same is true of you. When you want something, you strive and persist. We're going to dedicate babies tonight. We're going to come around a bunch of families. At the end of the service, you'll see the pictures of the cute babies. It's like a competition, which baby's cutest. And we're we're going to show you the babies um, and uh, tell you who their parents are. And tonight in here, uh, Susan and I and our staff, we're going to dedicate these babies, uh, come around these families. It's really a parental covenant. Don't tell the parents yet, but it's really about them, not the babies. But uh, these guys are, are, are really cute. I might mention this tonight, but just to listen, I, I know from being a parent, like I, and I want to encourage you, if you're a parent with young kids, be hard-hearted. Be uh, not like Pharaoh, not, not, not like Pharaoh in the Bible, not toward God, but like they're going to ask you stuff time and time, and they're going to ask you for things. They're going to ask you for lots and lots and lots of things. They're going to come to you with all these requests. I have been made of granite through the years because you know what? They always ask for stuff, especially when they're young. They ask for stuff, and I know it's going to be a trend or a fad. They're going to outgrow it. They're not going to want it once we get it for them, and there's more important things to buy. And so I have been made of granite, but here's where my ears have perked up with all three of my kids when they ask me for something and they come back and ask again, and then they bring it up again, and then they ask about it. I, the granite just sort of melts, and I become soft because they've been persistent. Can I share with you that that could be an example of our Heavenly Father? I am a pastor. I have been to seminary. I have studied the Bible. I've memorized large portions of scripture and can recall where almost everything is in the Bible. But I do not know the mind of God. I, I am humbled and refined by what I don't know about God. 
But here's what I do know. God says he is a loving father and he wants us to keep coming back to him. I want it to be a singular, sincere request. I want that to suffice. But it's in the persistence. Persistence demonstrates desire. And by the way, I want to preach this freely and often at Fondren Church. If you've been around these few months, you've heard me say this. Desire is not bad. Disordered desire is bad. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James 3, is bad. James 4, remember last week, you, you, you don't have because you do not ask, but you ask and do not receive so that you may consume it upon your own lust. So there's disordered desires that will trip us up. It will, it, it, the Bible calls it idolatry. We call it in a therapeutic culture, we call it addiction. And it afflicts um, so many of us. And it's a reality uh, that, where we need God's grace and we need his mercy. But to stay persistent, to stay after it, to seek God, to say to him, Lord, I want this, I need this, I come to you. And here's what I found. There's this wonderful example of the Bible in Acts chapter 10 where Peter goes up to the rooftop and there's a man named Cornelius and there's some pigs in a blanket and all this stuff. It's a really cool story in Acts 10, but he's praying essentially about food. But he leaves the roof in his persistent prayer and God taught him a lesson in his legalism and his racism. Which needs to be confronted in us, by the way. And what I have found is I go to God many times with my own needless, need, need, needless request, with my selfish desires. I go to him and I talk to him and I come back to him and that could be the very thing that brings me to him. Because my plan of self-sufficiency, my plan for providing is not working. So I go to the higher power. And I go to him and I pray to him, but if I stay with him and I go back to him and I continue to pray, I have found times like Peter in Acts 10 where he's transformed my desires. And I was praying for this, but he gave me a greater gift. And he showed me something in me. I wanted this thing. And God, here's two things you need to believe in to, to be a prayer, to be a person of prayer, to be specific and to persist. You need to believe that God knows more than you and that he desires what's best for you. And let me tell you, RG, do you battle with doubt? You better believe it. But I want to say with you, most times, there's been an increasing steadfastness in me that God knows more than me and that he desires what's best for me. Jesus told a story in Luke 18. We're talking about persistence. I love this. Dr. Luke, the physician, says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He did not say that a single sincere request would suffice. He said they should keep on praying. And then Jesus did something pretty weird. Master teacher, no one like him in human history. We're about to celebrate his resurrection in a couple weeks. No one like Jesus. But he tells an odd story about his heavenly father. And it's almost like he's saying God is like this callous, corrupt judge. That's blasphemous, it would seem. But he tells us this story about this plucky widow. And she comes to him. Now, she's a widow, and widows, it's hard to be a widow. It's hard, really hard to be a widow back then. It was a patriarchal society. And in this society, she felt marginalized. She was left out. She was a victim of unfair advantage. But she comes to the judge, and Jesus in the story even acknowledges that the judge looks at her after her persistence and says, you know, I'm not really a godly man. In fact, I'm not a good judge. But even I, I'm going to do something for you because you keep coming back. Now, Jesus and his followers would elevate that. And I want to elevate it for you because here's the thing. It's easy for us 
to walk in this world of faith and to feel like we are the widow to an extent we are in the story, stay with me, but to feel like that we are to God, that we are the widow, that we're poor and we're, we're widowed and we're at the disadvantage and we have to stand in a long line of unfairness just to get to God. And Jesus would teach us differently. In fact, we have an advocate and a direct line to God and God is so much greater than an unscrupulous judge. In fact, he's a loving heavenly father and we have a direct line to him, so keep praying. One day Jesus would talk to a woman in Samaria at a well. He would talk to her about her background, her lifestyle, the things that blocked her from a life with God. He would talk to a man on the way to Jerusalem. He was a young man and a rich man. And in both of these stories, listen to me, looking at these stories, in one story, the, the story with the woman in Samaria, she persisted and she persisted and her life was transformed. But the rich young guy, one time, one time, and he walked away sad. He hung his head sad because he gave up. Can I say to you, join me in praying and not giving up. Stay after it and see what God can do. Be specific when you pray and be persistent when you pray. The final thing is to be expectant. Every time in the New Testament when Jesus answered someone's prayer, he pointed to their faith. He didn't point to their tithing, to their attendance at the temple. Both things are good. He didn't point to their love. What's greater than love? He pointed to their faith, to to them having a sense that God was going to work. The opposite is true. Jesus turned away at religious people who thought they knew it all or knew a better way or their self-sufficiency would, would suffice. But Jesus pointed to people. He made a point to point to people who had faith. Back to our story that James 5 kicks to 1 Kings 18 with Elijah, the seventh time, we've read this, I'm going to throw in one new verse at the end, the seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. It didn't say a monster monsoon. It said small hand a cloud the size of a man's hand just something small look at me this morning who needs this you're going through something really hard and you're praying you may you may say to me in rebuttal hey robert i've been praying specifically i've been staying at it but there's something about expectancy to this as well and don't wait, on some, don't wait on some big, large monsoon. There could be something. Open your eyes because prayer is so much about awareness. Let me say it again. Prayer is so much about awareness. When you're communing with another person, do you know that in relationships you miss it sometimes with people? You miss it sometimes because you're not employing all of you in your relationship with them. And it's true of any relationship, certainly the most intimate of relationships. But to pay attention and to have this awareness. And look, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. Read James again. Count it all. Consider. Reckon it joy. When, not if. When you encounter various trials. Just a couple of problems in life. Various trials. 
various trials for everybody when you go through those trials. Anybody have a lot of money? Anybody got a great education? Anybody been able to just plan and work things out? Like it's not enough. You are not immune to, you can erect a life as best you can to be problem free, but problems will come. It will happen to you. It will. And in the midst of this difficulty, to stop and think that there could be something on the horizon. It's happened to me. I've seen something and it's, it's made me hold on. And not just hold on in disbelief, but hold on in faith and expectancy that he's going to do something. So let me be real. As Lauren and the team begin to make their way up, we don't have much longer, but I just want to be real for a second. I remember praying, as you have, I'm sure, for someone who was down and out. The family invited me to come and to pray for him, hoping that something would be special about my prayer. And of course, I obliged, I went and prayed that there would be something special about my prayer, that I wouldn't try to steal any glory, but I would be there and I would pray and God would miraculously bring healing. And I remember standing over a man a lot of plastic and stuff I'm not a doctor I'll do the best with this as I can but I was standing over this man and there were tubes and wires coming out of his chest and his stomach and his mouth and his nose and I prayed I knew the family was praying and I prayed over him and for a few more days he held on but he didn't make it he died I remember going to a family's house to pray for a woman family gathered around and we prayed for this woman and there was this heart condition that she was afflicted with she would have to go to test and she would come home those tests would affect her she would have to go back for another round to test and then probably back for another round and then we'll see and I remember doctor saying to me and to the family I have never seen this and I cannot explain it I am a specialist an authority in this area of medicine and I have never seen anything like I cannot explain it she is alive and well and vibrant today both have been true y'all I have experienced it stand with me I want to give you I want to close with Jesus the brother of James I want you to consider this as you think about prayers you think about being specific about being persistent and about being expectant Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. If you come on Good Friday, we're going to worship and consider this. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is our Savior. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And this is like two prayers. Two prayers. Stay with me. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Like the first prayer, do you get that? Like, let me be raw with it. The first prayer is, um, hey, do I have to go through this? Is there a, is there a plan B? God, I, I know God. No, I don't want, this is not what I want. Do you love me? Do you see me? Look at me. Look at the good I've done. Do I have to go through this? Is there another plan, God? But the second prayer, very distinct from the first prayer. Well, 
God, it looks like I've got to go through this. It looks like, and, and you know more than me, and you desire what's best for me. And it's hard to believe that sometimes, but I, it's apparent that I've got to go through this. And in the going through this will be the answer to the prayer. You see, prayer is not imposing our will on God. It's surrendering to His will. And that's one that we want to get right. And I want to say to you today, you may not know much about the prophets and you may not know much of anything about Elijah, but he had a nature just like ours. And it is our nature to need. It is our nature to wonder if God is there. It is in our nature to seek and to pray. And I have friends who aren't of faith, they say to me, but I tell them, ah, in fact, you are of faith. Because as the adage goes, there aren't atheists in foxholes. We all cry out. We all cry out. But can I tell you, make no mistake about it today. I want to drop this truth no matter where it falls. Man, when we talk about prayer, we're not talking about sending good vibes out to the universe. We're talking about praying to a God who made the universe and who can respond. Take it or leave it, but I'm telling you, God answers prayer. And I'm challenging you today, each and every one of you, to be specific, to be persistent, and to be expectant. Let's pray. Father, would you bless uh, us as a generous church. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, from the Dominican Republic. Thank you that they're a part of a larger global faith family. Thank you for their visit. Thank you for their friendship. Thank you for the furtherance of the gospel. Would you continue to allow us to abound and abound more and more in generosity that we wouldn't shrink back, but that we would move more and more toward generosity. Lord, everybody, everybody's gift is needed. Everybody needs to give. And I pray that you would uh, further us as a church, as people in our in realms of generosity. God, would you allow us to pray? And God, would you answer prayer here? Would we be able to have more and more testimony of your goodness? When we're troubled, would we pray? When we're sick, would we pray? When we're guilty, would we pray? And would we pray as James 1 said, because every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting of shadow. God, thank you for the good gifts you give. Let us be a grateful people. Bless these tithes and offerings in Jesus. Amen.